welcome to Missionary Mindset. You may have noticed that this week was way later than our normal two-week schedule. That falls on me. My family and I went back to the States for the first time in two years. We tried to have as relaxing a two-week vacation as we can. It was our family's first time meeting our son and seeing us in two years. We at Missionary Mindset plan on getting back to our every-other-week schedule now. Happy to announce that this week we're joined by Ryan Kirk. He joins us to discuss a bunch of different topics. We talk about not being allowed back to China, suddenly being homeless, having to transition to Taiwan, and what it means to trust God completely. Hi, well, I'm Brian Kirk, and I lived in China with my wife for almost 15 years before we didn't. (laughs) So what was it like kind of living in China? And how did, let's start back. So how did you get to China in the first place? And then kind of moving through that, how did, like, what was it like on your day-to-day life? Well, that's a big question. You know, we go, when we go back for trips uh, to Canada or the States, people are like, so how's China? And it's like, well, that's a big question. You know, um, broad. Yeah. I try to keep it broad. Just it's, so, it's big. You can go anywhere you want with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we met an undergrad. We were both doing missions degrees, got married, graduated, and then got married, and then went to grad school together for more missions degrees. And during grad school, committed to China. We, we never had this, the story of feeling like God specifically called us to a certain place. We, we more felt, we understood it as God calls us like he calls everyone to live in his kingdom and and the whole world was open we could do that anywhere but we understood that if we choose a place that that's a big commitment you're choosing to go to a a people and learn a language and become socialized in a different culture so we saw it not exactly like marriage but that's probably the closest thing like if we're going to go somewhere, this is a big commitment and um, we need to take it seriously. So we committed to China. We, we assumed we'd be there 20 years. You know, we thought, well, it's going to take us that long. To, I mean, we thought it would take us a long time to get truly competent language-wise and, and culture-wise. Um, so that was the plan. We we landed in china in the mid 2000s went to language school full-time for two years because that's all we could afford (laughs) so (laughs) once we were out of money once we were out of money we had a child uh our first child and tried to support ourselves for two years teaching english that was i'd like those two years back i should have just done the math and gone this is not going to work but we had to try i suppose um, after two years of trying to support ourselves, we came back to North America to have another child. And this time we found some support. And when we went back in the, at the beginning of the 2010s, we were in a new city. We had four years of China experience under our belts, plus a year in Taiwan. And so we kind of got to start fresh and say, okay, let's, let's take another run at this. We've got intermediate language levels now. 
And so we designed a whole new life, chose where to work, where to live, where to worship, all that kind of stuff, and, and built a life that would push us towards people and push us into the language and push us into the culture. The idea was make a lifestyle that after so many years, you're going to be deeper in and more competent than you were when you started. In, instead of having a lifestyle that you fight against because it's always pulling you out. You know, so, so that's what we did. Um, and we ended up doing different, lots of different things. Um, the main thing was I was doing small group training, I guess, we're gonna put it in those terms. But like the, the idea was we're trying to help catalyze communities of, I mean, I, the ideal, the goal was catalyze communities of former non-believers um, who live together in Jesus' kingdom. So they're conspicuously different because God's transforming them. And that way they influence their families and their society. So uh, that was kind of the idea. And we just did different kinds of small group training towards that end. Some people were from what people call house churches or underground churches or unregistered churches. Some were from state churches or three self churches. I mean, I don't know how, how familiar people are with China related lingo. Um, and then of course, a bunch of um, non-believers that are attached to all those people. So, yeah. so what was it like having a baby in China? Cause uh, you said you had a baby in China and then you also had a second child in North America. What's well, we had the, we had the first two in North America and we went back uh, to have them. Third one we just had in China. Okay. And so what was that like? Well, I I kind of assumed the first the first kid was uh, a medical situation that's and stressful and everything. And the second one was fine. But you know, because we had medical issues and stuff, I thought, well, surely my wife's gonna want to go back. <laughs> the third, she's like, no, we'll do it here. I'm like, are you sure? I mean your call, you know, <laughs> and so we uh, had a baby in China and it was, we found a good doctor. Uh, we just, we had connections, I guess. So we found the right people, yeah. I think was the thing. And since we had a great doctor who was in charge and knew how to be the buffer between my wife and the hospital and, and be a good advocate and get what we need. So it worked really well. And we got to have, you know, the baby was born. We took out all these, our Chinese friends for a big meal. Well, I got to, she's in the hospital, but I'm, I'm supposed to go do this big thing. And then we, we got to do some fun traditional stuff. Um, in our area, they give eggs with little stickers on them to everybody, you know, to celebrate the birth of a, well, the birth of a son. And I felt kind of awkward about that. So I would tell people, oh, my child is born. I didn't say son. And they'd be like, oh, you had a son. I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, you finally got your son. That's no, not what I mean, but you know, but it was fun. We, we, we had a really good experience yeah. having a baby in China. That's awesome. I'm assuming, I mean, like us, because me and my wife had our son here. Yeah. It's also much cheaper to have a child here or in China as opposed to having one in North America. Well, not if you're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> That's also we, true. Yeah. My, <laughs> um, yeah. So, the ones we had in Canada, yeah, that was not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was great.
to compare to us, who would have one in the U.S. would be yeah. Expensive. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, what was it like? How was it like raising a family in China? Oh well, I guess that can go a lot of different ways for different people. I mean, for us, we we deliberately were trying to live as immersed as we could, and still be to be a, as appropriately immersed as possible. So that means that for us, that meant we lived in an all Chinese neighborhoods where we were the only foreigners. I worked in all Chinese workplace and our kids went, when they went to preschool, they were the only foreigners. So was, all their classmates were Chinese. And because we wanted a Mandarin language environment. So even at home, it was all bilingual among the family. And then if we had people over, it'd be Chinese, it'd be Mandarin. So they grew up, that was just their environment. And it's really, it was so much fun watching their language develop. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll yeah. start experiencing this pretty soon, but it's so fun to watch them acquire language. And then when they do two languages at once, uh, it can be really funny because the, there's things they learn in Chinese before they learn it in English. And then they'll start translating it so they're, they're talking to you about something they've only ever talked about in Chinese before. And so they, they start telling us about, oh, there's a spider net, you know, over there instead of, because they learned Jirduwan and so things like that. So there's all kinds of little things like that, but watching their language develop is really fun. Now they, they are kind of torn between what, not torn, they just, they're confused about what they are. <laughs> like they had to fill out these forms for their online school. And one of the questions is like, where are you from? And our nine-year-old says, how do I, Dad, how do I answer this? And they're like, tell them, I don't know, pick a passport. You know, you have two. So, cause, <laughs> yeah, because Canada. Right. But then they, but they've grown up, in, they've only known China. Yeah. They've only visited Canada and the U.S. So they're, and they're, and we're in Taiwan. So they're, we're all thoroughly confused. Yeah. I feel like that's a normal third culture kid yeah. situation too. I mean, me and my wife have talked about it multiple times about how, because we're going back to the States, our parents were like, oh, you're coming home. And it's like, well, yeah, me and Haley are, but August doesn't mm. know that as home. Like August thinks of yeah. this apartment really as home. Yeah. <laughs> when, our, when our kids use the word home, they're talking about China. And for us, it's different. You know, but we we never lived as adults in North America. I mean, aside from undergrad and grad school, yeah, we spent our entire adult lives in in East Asia. So, so why why did you pick China? I know initially when you said you oh yeah China. yeah yeah right we we never had the writing on the wall story. You know, like you hear yeah. people stand up and say, oh this thing happened and and we feel called to wherever Nicaragua. Or, you know, wherever we never had that. Throw a dart at a map. We and it landed on China. <laughs> almost. We we were already into our graduate degrees, and we were supposed to be doing research on whatever place and people we were going to, and we didn't have a place. And this is probably my fault because I take forever to make big decisions. Just that kind of personality. But once you make them, they're done. You know, that's why it's like take too long to decide where to go, but then we're in for twenty years. Uh, so we we prayed we knew we have to pick a place we can't let's go forever so we, we prayed about different places we even researched different places we researched 
some people groups in West Africa. Uh, we'd both done our internships in East Africa. So that was our most intentional and intense cross-cultural experience up to that point. But we, neither one of us had any vision for doing anything in East Africa. It was a good experience, but we just had no idea what, what we do there. There's, we met uh, Ugandan and Tanzanian church leaders. We've been Christians longer than we've been alive. And it was like, <laughs> well, what are we going to, you know, I'm not saying there aren't things to do there. I'm just saying we didn't, we couldn't, we had nothing. <laughs> and so we looked at different places and at the time China was around people were going to China as English teachers um, it was just in the air and we had some former Taiwan missionaries in our circles and so it was kind of on our radar we thought well, why don't we start my wife will will tell this story that we didn't have a place and we we're laying in bed one night before going to sleep. And, and I said, why don't we pray about China? Maybe going to China. And she's like freaking out. Like, what, China? We never thought about China. What are you talking about? We're talking about China. And I rolled over and went to sleep. And she laid awake for hours. Going, Good, sweet. China, what was he thinking? Because we, we never even thought about Asia, really. Yeah. It just hadn't been in our experience. And so... The way she tells it, she prayed that God would at least help open her up to the possibility, to consider the, the possibility. And if that's something we should consider to help her develop a love for the Chinese people. So she woke up the next day and she's like all excited about it. Hey, you know, that's a great idea. We really should pray about that and start looking at that. And then, and then I was the one who was like, whoa, 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 hey. I was just saying, we got nothing else going on here. We might as well throw China in the mix. And so then it was my turn to be all hesitant about it. But all we really did was pick a date in the future. We said, at this date, we're going to make a decision. And we'll just pray about it until then. And then, and we told people, you know, we told our mentors and stuff. And then that date came and we decided. Like, it wasn't like, <laughs> there was no, we were in the middle of a worship service and I fell on my knees in tears and God, I'll go wherever you send me. But none of that. It was just, we're, we're already in, committed to the kingdom of God and we're going to do it somewhere. So, so why not China? We, <laughs> you know, we felt like there were a lot of needs there that we could, in theory, help meet. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we committed to it. Once we committed, then we're committed. It's like, before you're married, there's probably thousands of people in the world that you could get married to and have a healthy, compatible, wonderful life with. But once you pick one, then they are the one. Yeah. And that's it. You know, they become the one. And it's kind of like that. We picked China. All right. We're in. China's the one. We're in. We're going to do this. That's awesome. And now a word from our sponsor. Taiwan Missionary Fellowship is a movement of missionaries working together to reach Taiwan for the gospel through a network of mission organizations, church leaders, national gatherings, training events, and resources. For more information, go to tmf.org.tw. So what's some misconceptions that people in the West have about like moving to China or living in China? Oh, man. 
it's like <laughs> so many. Um, I don't know. I don't know what direction you want to go with that. I mean, moving, making an international, moving internationally is not the same thing as moving cross culturally. Yeah. So we discovered that you can move to another country and live there, but you you don't necessarily live in that country. Um, you can end up living in the white American equivalent of Chinatown, you know, and even rhyme in Chinese. If you, <laughs> if you say Yang Renjia, Tang Renjia, um, where your daily life, I mean, I think if, if you go overseas and you just follow your default, then you're going to end up creating, you're going to end up recreating the life you had in your home country as much as possible. If you just do it automatically without without being intentional about how you live, um, just because that's what people do, you're gonna naturally we're gonna we always naturally are gonna clump together with people like us. You know, I'm not saying it's bad, just that's the natural tendency. And if your purpose for going overseas was to learn language and culture and get close to local people, then then you need probably need to make some intentional adjustments. And so we, uh, we did, I mean, as soon as we learned the words for like hot water heater and air conditioner, <laughs> we were a couple months in, we, cause our, our, our organization put us found like set us up with housing, set us up with a language school it was great, but the housing was literally all foreigners and just because it was convenient, you know, we weren't, we weren't complaining, but we're like, okay, we're getting out of here as soon as we can. And so we went pick the most average looking place we could find. And, <laughs> and it was, that was its own special adventure. We had lots of memories there, but yeah. So I guess what, what did daily life at least look like for you? I guess not necessarily the first time that you were in China, right. but that was, I mean, you were at language school. So I'm yeah, right, you, right. your That's, daily life was class. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was fun. I'd, <laughs> I'd go to class in the morning, have lunch, and usually buy, you know, like 50, like the equivalent of 50 US cents yeah. noodles out of, of a window. And then in the afternoon, there'd be some writing homework, but there's also practice homework. And in our neighborhood, there was a, a corner where there's these guys, their factories closed down early, so they retired early. And so one guy's a bike repairman, and that's, he sets up shop on the corner, and all the other old guys come and they just play chess, drink Baijiu, and whatever else. So they were my practice people. So I just go inflict them with whatever I'd learned that morning. <laughs> and so that, that became a lot of fun hanging out with those guys. Um, that was language school, but daily life, uh, when we had a life that we set up intentionally was I worked a teaching job that gave us a visa in the mornings. And then I had afternoons and evenings free. Which, which is not normal. Normally you'd be working full-time for a visa. Uh, I just negotiated with the school and because of the situation it was, they didn't need me all day. So it was really ideal. And that gave me the afternoon. Normally I would be on my own, um, putting stuff together, studying, doing language class, whatever. Because we always kept studying. We never stopped studying Chinese. Um, or 
getting ready for whatever was going on that evening. And then in the evenings, we, some evenings a week, we'd have, I'd have a training group of different kinds, or we'd be involved in different things with different um, local, local church groups, depending on what's going on. I mean, we did a lot of different things. I mean, I had regular, regular training groups every week, regular, regular meals with uh, local church leaders. Um, that was, and that was more like peers. Like we were just there for the mutual encouragement. I wasn't, I, I, I didn't approach Chinese pastors like I was their expert or past. I'm the new mentor. Like, hey, I'm yeah. here. Yeah, no, I didn't do it that way. We, we showed up just to be spiritual encouragement and friends for those, that types of people. And even in our training groups, I tried to posture, like pick a posture as a peer as much as possible. And so even though I'm the guy that, that designed, you know, the format for how this, this session's going to go, I wasn't teaching. I was, and we would take turns leading the, the groups. So that was all intentional too. Has, have, cha- have things changed, I guess, politically or, or within like the legal sense mm-hmm. from when you started in China to when you guys ultimately left? Yeah. Oh yeah. Huge. It's a huge change, and and it um we we saw it, we experienced it like on the ground. We showed up, so we showed up in the mid two thousands, and China from I guess about the late nineties to the mid twenty tens was kind of the most relaxed period of time. Um, you know the the end of the reform and opening years, and so we showed up in the middle of that. And people even told us at the time, other long-termers told us, they said, this isn't normal. They're like, don't get used to this. And they said, we, we, can, we can even tell that things are, are starting Shit. to cool off. <laughs> it. And we're, we were thought, well, okay, if you say so. But, you know, we didn't know. We just, we just got there. The, the place we chose to live, we picked it because the local authorities were pretty open. They just seemed to not care about church activity. As long as you didn't make trouble, they'd leave you alone. And so we were able to worship with an unregistered church. And that was great because in our language school location, there's no way we would get anywhere near an un- unregistered church. It'd be too dangerous. Uh, so we, we worshiped there we're, we, as members, not as, not as, we weren't their missionaries. Our kids were in the Sunday school. And that was all great until things started to change. Uh, I think in one of your other episodes, was it Peter talked about, uh, there was a speech by Xi Jinping. Oh, uh, yeah. Cultural speech. Yeah, and that's, that's no joke. I mean, when they know, the leaders know how to signal what they want to signal. And if you're not paying attention, it can be quite dangerous. I mean, for us, we were, we were, paying, we were always paying attention. So 2016, you know, I have the, I actually have dates somewhere. Yeah, September 2016, we saw them publish a draft law that was clearly aimed at reining in all the religious stuff. You know, it, it was signaling, hey, we're, we're going to get serious about, about religion. And we, it wasn't law yet, but they made this public and said, oh, and, you can, and for the public to give feedback. I don't know why they do that, um, but they do. And so we went to the house church and said, hey, we're sorry, but we can, we can't keep worshiping with you guys for for your safety for our safeties 
this is and they didn't they did not understand why i don't don't know what they thought but they just they're like really come on this is china they're always saying stuff like that you have to pay attention to that or it doesn't mean that and we said no we think this time it's it's they're serious so we started worshiping at the state church uh that was september 2016 uh 2017 those regulations became actual law and then even the state church we started seeing things happen uh they they had set up a thing we were going to do through wechat we had it all set up and then it got canceled at the last minute um you walk in the front courtyard of the state church and there's the first thing you see is this giant quote from xi jinping like set up right in the middle and they start putting up propaganda posters around the inside walls of the church courtyard. Big flagpole goes up. They cancel Sunday school. Uh, as far as I know, Sunday school was always, was, was never legal. Like you're, not, you're not allowed to proselytize minors. Yeah. But they've been getting away with it for a long time, even in the state church. Yeah. But that got canceled. I mean, they officially, from the pulpit, they said, we can no longer have Sunday school. And then more, more posters, and then, and then waves of high-level inspections of the churches, the state churches. And they, they'd have to get all ready. And, and um, it was interesting seeing them, seeing them try to navigate that. Because the state church pastors, the ones that we met, they're just trying to be pastors. But they're caught between the regulations from above and then trying to take care of the people from below. Yeah. And... So they would set up a meeting, a nice meeting room to, to receive these officials coming. And they'd put, have all the, all the propaganda posters you know, displayed around this big table. But included in the propaganda posters are their own posters that they made. And one was, here's a quote from Jesus. And here's a quote from Confucius. Look how they match. And another one was, oh, here's a quote from China's constitution guaranteeing religious freedom you know, with the freedom of religion part highlighted. And they just put in this like right in their face, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So there's, there was very much, it was interesting seeing them. That quiet protest, basically. I don't know how to, I don't know exactly how to characterize it. Maybe not protest, but they were, they were at least dragging their feet a little bit, maybe you know. Quiet, not rebellion, but quiet, like. Uh, I'm still trying to show you that we're allowed to do this. <laughs> well, it's this, it's this endless negotiation. Yeah. You know, and, and they definitely have my sympathy. I mean, I know some people have, di- have different opinions about unregistered churches and, and Chinese state churches. And I'm like, I'm sure you'll, you'll find whoever you want to find. We're talking about a lot of people in both those groups, but the pastors we knew, it was like, they're just like any overworked pastor in a church. Yeah. you know so so we well, the question was what are we seeing like the changes yeah what are the changes kind of how that how did that affect i guess the ministry and you kind of talk yeah. about that a little bit oh okay right oh okay so a whole, yeah a whole other angle of that was back when it was like free and we weren't feeling any pressure yet i didn't want our training groups to meet in a church because we were trying to do something new with what we were doing um, it wasn't me giving a lecture. Uh, it was very interactive. Um, we were trying to be, we're like looking at a teaching of Jesus and saying, hey, how can we actually try to do this this week? And then people go and do things, make changes, and then come back and share their experiences. 
So it's all interactive and this kind of thing. And if you, when we put them in a church setting, they would just default to church behavior. So they're passive and they just listen to someone monologue. So we, we went to mall food courts. We, um, when we got kicked out of a food court by security, uh, we went to daytime in KFCs. Because in the evenings, they wouldn't necessarily be busy. You could find a corner in a fast food restaurant. And then, there, and then there was like this grisly cult murder in a McDonald's one year. And it was big news, it was national news. And then our, our people said, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing religious stuff in American fast food restaurants anymore. It's a little sensitive right now. And I said, yeah, you're right, you're right. And we didn't use our apartment on purpose because we didn't want them to become dependent on us. We wanted them to solve the venue problem because we knew one day we wouldn't be there. And we wanted them to find ways to do this that they could do. So we bounced around different places and eventually ended up, we even tried like outside by a river, which was really nice while the weather was good, except people's toddlers were always wandering off. And <laughs> super distracting. We ended up, the pastor at the state church let us use one of their Sunday school rooms, like on the down low. Like they didn't ask questions at all. They just threw some people, gave us permission, and it was like they just assumed we would know better than to make trouble. Yeah. And so we just did that. We just show up, do our thing, leave. You know, no fuss, no muss. And uh, that worked really well until things started getting all this pressure yeah. happening. And then suddenly the pastors getting nervous. And they would add, there's one of our group members who was like the key liaison between them. And they would start saying, how many people do you have? Where do they come from? What's that foreigner doing? What, show me your books that you're studying. Like they wanted to make sure that, you know, they were afraid, making sure we weren't cult stuff and yeah. really concerned. And why, why don't they all come to church on Sunday morning? Because we had, we, our groups had house church people from different house churches. They had some state church people and it was a mix of people. And, you know, what, what are they? And I didn't blame the pastors. They were under so much pressure. And it was like that. And they, they want us to limit the numbers. You know, you can't, have, you can't have too many people, this kind of thing. And we, that went up till uh, our final Chinese New Year. And we left for Chinese New Year thinking, I don't know if we're going to be able to keep doing this because it's getting so tight. Yeah. And this, we never had another chance to do that. But, you know, 20, 2018 was, was like the big nationwide crackdown. Yeah. I mean, other Chinese people, China people probably have mentioned this, how there were local things that happened, but there was also a, a nationwide one that happened. And that's when they scooped out hundreds if not thousands of people um either kicked out or visas not renewed or whatever so that was i mean that was big I mean, people we knew people and then people secondhand um in our networks so many you know horror stories of people getting removed uh craziness you know yeah and that's that's stressful because you're already trying to be careful and you can't there's no foolproof way to hide you just trying to draw attention to yourself and i mean it's basically like living every day with a target on your back you it's it's wild that's not I mean, super obvious <laughs> we played a game one time i 
we lived, I walked through, we, in China's, Chinese neighborhoods are kind of special. Xiaochu, like they build these giant apartment complexes, but they're walled and there's gates. So they keep track of everybody coming and going. And I would have to walk all the way through ours to go at the end to take my kids to Taekwondo. And one time I went to pick them up and I said, hey, let's play a game on the way home. Tell me how many new, new security cameras you can count in between the gate and our building. <laughs> and like, not the old ones, just count the new ones. And it was like 20 something new cameras, you know, not counting the ones they already had. No. And, and that's all, you know, like facial recognition stuff. It's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. You, you, and you know, you slow, we used to slowly see the internet change, you know, suddenly you couldn't buy Bibles online anymore. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And that can be stressful. You go to you go to a conference, you get the big annual security update, and everyone's ah, go back, change all your security settings, and yeah, that could it's annoying because it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And it's you know, underneath that is stress as well. Well, that's all for this week. A big thank you to Ryan Kurt and his willingness to talk about their life in China. We will continue the conversation in two weeks. As always, this podcast is brought to you by TMF. For more information, you can visit tmf.org.tw. If you get a moment, please subscribe, rate, and review. It may not sound like much, but every little bit helps. If you have a question or would like to reach out, feel free to contact us at tmfccg at gmail.com. We'll be back in two more weeks. Until then, bye. Bye.